You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. I preached this message last week at First Baptist Borger, and they had what they, they had an entire weekend. They called it Shelter Weekend, and uh, just literally calling people to come in, people who are hurting, people suffering, people who are going through difficulties, people who are going through storms, and it was, uh, it was a great time. But, um, you know, I made this statement, you and I are either, we are either going through a storm, we are coming out of a storm, or we're getting ready to have a storm. And boy, that is true, isn't it? So let's stand in honor of God's Word this morning. Romans eight twenty eight. Paul writes to the church there at Rome and early believers, and that letter would be a circular letter. It would go to a lot of new Christians, a lot of believers, who would be experiencing some kind of difficulty in their life. And I'm going to say it again. You and I are either going in a storm we're coming out of a storm, or we know somebody else that is. You know, that's life. The Bible says, Jesus said, in the world you'll have what? Tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So look at Romans eight twenty-eight. Paul writes here, and we know that what? All things. Oh my. You mean to tell me, you mean to tell me this bad marriage that I'm in? Yes. You mean to tell me my financial problems? Yes. You mean to tell me the problems with parenting my children? Yes. You mean to tell me the financial difficulties that I face right now because I'm not bringing enough money in to pay my bills? Yes. You mean to tell me that my health, that cancer, that diagnosis, everything. Paul says in all things. Okay? So I think you and I ought to underline that. We ought to dog-ear the page about two or three times, and we ought to come back to that and remind ourselves. Now watch what he says again. And we know that in all things, that's everything. That Everybody look this way, because we need to understand this. That is everything that's going on in my life. That means everything. You mean the things that have gone wrong in my life. I mean every single thing. Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that we know in all things God works for the what? For the good. Wow. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we serve a God who can take the mess of our lives. He can take all the failures, all the difficulties, everything in our life. And God, you can make something good out of it. And God, sometimes we don't know how. Sometimes we look and think, you know, God, our lives are such a mess right now. God, there's so much hurt and pain in my life right now. I just don't see how anything good could come out of it only to look back years later and to say, God, you were there. Didn't understand it at the time. It didn't make sense. But now it makes perfect sense. And so, God, we give you all the glory, and I pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would cleanse us, that you would forgive us, 
that if there's any confession that needs to take place over this past week, we pray right now through the power of your Holy Spirit that you'll bring that to to bear on our hearts, dear Lord, and make us clean and pure and holy so that we can receive a word from you, so that we can preach a word for you. Lord, guide us. Dear Lord, cleanse this vessel. Let me be one you can use. And we give you all the glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, this is a topical sermon, but I want to say this, and I want you to, I want you to listen real closely because sometimes I think it helps when suffering, I think suffering is easier in our lives when it makes sense, when we can kind of figure out, you know, well, what is God doing right now? I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life that I think, you know, God, if you could just come, if the Lord Jesus Christ could just come and sit at the foot of my bed and he and I just enter into a conversation, it sure would be a lot easier. But suffering has a dimension and a dynamic in our life. And this is what I want to speak to you about today. Because suffering can make sense. Okay? Suffering can make sense. So I want to give you some lessons today about suffering. Number one, suffering is a divine appointment. Now, I want to encourage you. I'd write it down in the front of my Bible because, again, I'm going to say this. Sooner or later, you and I are going to need it. You're either coming out of suffering, you're either going into suffering, and you know somebody else is suffering. Suffering is a divine appointment. Well, Brother Jeff, what do you mean by that? Let me give you an example. Jeff and I and Lee and Matt, the four of us, were on our way. We were on our way to Harare, Zimbabwe a few weeks ago. We get into Memphis. Jeff and I drive up, meet Matt and Lee there, and we get on a plane that's heading to Atlanta. Now, we don't have long in Atlanta before we're catching that leg over to Johannesburg, South Africa. That flight only goes once a day. Now, we knew that it was going to be close. The plane has mechanical problems, and so there we're sitting and we're waiting. I don't know about you, but I don't like a plane that has mechanical problems. But it had mechanical problems. And uh, they told us, I don't really want to know it. I wish they'd keep it to themselves. But it went on and on. They thought they had it fixed. Then they had more problems, had more problems. And we began to realize, we were looking at our watches. We said, hey, we're going to mess our flight. So finally Lee gets up, and then I follow, and we go out to the desk, and we say, listen, we're going to mess our flight. We need you to get us on that other flight. Well, we can't do that. We think we're going to get it fixed. Well, a few minutes later, we finally realize we are not going to make our flight. We get up, we go back out there. We say, listen, we're not going to make our flight. She says, no, you're not. They've already showed you all. There's no shows. You're not going to make your flight. Well, what are we going to do? Well, you'll have to go to our rep. So we go to the Delta rep. We sit there and negotiate, talk. We say, well, what about going through London? What about British Air? What about Lufthansa through, uh, um, you know, through Germany? What about, what about going through Amsterdam? Well, we may be able to route you through Amsterdam, but you're going to have to stay the night here. That flight doesn't leave till tomorrow. So they put us up in the Marriott. Now, that was a good thing. We had all had our own room. They gave us mail vouchers. They took care of us. The next afternoon, we're catching a flight not to South Africa. We're going to Amsterdam. And I think to myself, you know, I don't want to go to Amsterdam. This is a long leg. We're going to spend a day in Amsterdam. We're going to leave that night flying Kenyan Airways. 
We're going to go to Nairobi, Kenya. We're going to spend a day in Nairobi. We're going to leave Nairobi that, that night. We're going to fly to Lus- Lusaka, Zambia. We're going to fly from Lusaka, Zambia to Harare, Zimbabwe. And we're going to get there at 1 o'clock in the morning, three days later. And you know what I thought? I thought, you know, the enemy must not want us to get to Zimbabwe. But then I got to thinking, well, wait a minute. Something happened. We got on that flight there in Memphis. We were on our way to Amsterdam. I sat down next to a young man. Uh, We began to talk. And all of a sudden, I knew he was from another country. He said he was from Istanbul, Turkey, as we talked on and on. Then finally, I realized, uh, you know, began to talk to him about the faith. And he said, I am a devout Muslim. And my thought was, I didn't want to go to Amsterdam, and I didn't want to sit next to a devout Muslim. But the conversation, listen, the conversation went on and on for hours. He gave me every reason why he wasn't a Christian. He attacked the credibility of the Bible, the authority of Scripture, the multiple translations, the translation process itself. He went on and on, and people two and three rows away around us were listening. Here was a Christian, a devout Christian, and a devout Muslim for hours talking and contending over the faith. By the end of that, the next morning, he and I were having breakfast on that plane, drinking coffee and talking. And I said, would you do me a favor? I said, I've read a good bit of the Quran. I said, you haven't read any of the Bible. You're going on second and third opinions. I said, I've read the life of Muhammad. You do not know the life of Christ, only what the Quran portrays. I said, could I ask you to do something? Would you take my Bible if I gave it to you? A devout Muslim from Istanbul, Turkey said yes. And he took that Bible in his hand. He packed it away in his briefcase there. And he said, I will investigate for myself. You see, you and I need to understand that suffering is sometimes God interrupting our uneventful, planned out lives with another plan. He has something that He's trying to do in us and through us. And the only way that He can do it is He has to reroute us. And you may say, well, you know, I don't like that. It's not comfortable to me. That's right, because God takes us out of our comfort zone. You know, I remember years and years ago, Sheila and I, we were in that little red Mazda pickup. We were doing, you know, we break the speed limit all the time, preachers do. I don't know what it is about us. I guess it's our rebellion against the law. Since Paul said we've been set free from the law. But anyway, we were were riding along there and we're breaking the speed limit. We're doing at least 70 and a 60, I'll admit it. You know, we're going along there and people were coming up alongside of us, they were also breaking the law and were beeping their horn and pointing. We didn't know what was going on. And finally a person pulled up next to us and he said, you've got a flat tire. Now I'm trying to get here to, 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 the, to the exit here at Ellis. I, I pull off the road. I realize the tire is just about gone. I'm right there at Terry Road, so I get off at Terry Road. I hit Raymond Road, and the tire just completely comes off, and I can't go any farther, and I pull over right there at an abandoned building. I'll never forget this. 
I get out, I look at the tire, I call Gary Blakeney, who's already at the church, because I knew Gary probably had a good, you know, I call, I say, Gary, listen, you've got to, uh, I say, is there any way, you got that big jack, bring it down here, let's, let me change this tire, and he said, I'll be there in a minute. As I was down there looking at the tire and beginning to figure out what I was going to do and waiting on Gary, all of a sudden people came from everywhere. They came out from behind the building. They came out from behind that old station. They came out from under the bridge. It was red up under the bridge. It was Linda. Do you remember Linda, an RN, a nurse who lost her two children in an accident and ended up under a bridge down here? All of a sudden they began to swarm out everywhere. It sounded like one just went by. And God, God began to let me see that that blown out tire and that rerouting of my normal routine had taken place because he needed me to see a need. And for the last 12 or 13 years, this church has been aggressively involved in the homeless ministry. But it would never have happened had I not had a flat. Now, I didn't, I didn't go along there and say, you know, Sheila, you know what would be nice? It'd be nice for us to have a flat right now. I don't know about you, but I just enjoy a good flat. You see, that's the, that's the way it is. Suffering is divine appointments. God sometimes brings a measure of suffering and difficulty in our lives because He's trying to get our attention and He's saying, I need you to be aware of something that you're not aware of. Number two, suffering is God's way of drawing us close. You know, a little boy was at the side of a lake, had a little boat. And he put that boat out there, and before long that boat had drifted far too out into the water. He couldn't get to it. And, 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 and the little boy began to cry. And a businessman came by in his suit and realized the problem with the little boy. And he said, son, he said, hang on. He pat the little boy on the head. He said, I'll help you out. He picked up a handful of rocks, and he began to throw those rocks. And the little boy began to cry and said, sir, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna sink my boat. And the man said, son, just trust me. He began to throw those rocks on the other side of that boat. And you know what happened. The ripples and the, and the waves of those rocks hitting that water began to propel and push that boat back toward the shore. And finally, the boat was safely in the hand of the little boy. You see, that's our lives. There's not a person, including this pastor, that when things are going good in our lives, there is a tendency to drift away from God. We begin to think, you know, God, I don't need you. God, I'm doing pretty well here. We may not say, God, I don't need you, but we live as if we don't need it. All of a sudden, we quit praying. Because we don't, listen, we quit praying because we don't have nothing to pray about. My dad used to say, son, if you don't cut that out, I'll give you something to cry about. You didn't whine in our house, and you never whined. If you whine, you're going to get your butt tore up. I mean, even when you got spanked, you had to stay in the room till you dried up. My dad didn't even want to hear that. <laughs> He'd say, dried up. Stop it right now. If he heard us whining, he'd say, son, I'll give you something to whine about. Has it ever occurred to you and I that sometimes God gives us something to cry about? That we have a tendency, we have a tendency to drift away. We get out there. We start thinking, you know, life's pretty good. I'm healthy. I'm, I've, got, I've got money. My car's running well. My house is in good shape. My marriage is going fine. Uh, my job's good. It's secure. Everything is good. Hey, I don't need to pray. You see, sometimes suffering 
is God, a sovereign God, tossing affliction into our lives to draw us back to Him? Does He want to do it? Not necessarily. Listen to what Charles Stanley said. And when I'm hurting, when I'm hurting, there's one preacher I always go to listen to. I always go to In Touch and listen to Charles Stanley. Why? Because that man's life has had enormous amounts of suffering. But listen to what Stanley said about suffering and about difficulty. Charles Stanley said, whatever drives you and I to God, listen to this, is good for you and I. Did you hear that? Whatever drives you to God is good for you. Whatever it is that drives you to God, that's a good thing. So you mean to tell me that this suffering, you mean this problem with my health, this problem in this relationship, this problem with my education, this problem with the class that I'm teaching, this problem at my workplace, this problem... Yes, if it drives you to God, then it's good. Because whatever drives you and I to God is is good for us. So now, all of a sudden, Romans 8, 28, we read again. And we know that in all things, God works. We know that in all things, everything that drives me to God is God working in my life. Even those difficult things that I don't like. They're drawing me to God. Third, may not get through, but we'll get halfway. Suffering has a spiritual backdrop. Now this is critical. If you go back and take a left and go over to the book of Job, okay, now hold your finger on Romans 8, 28. Hold your finger on Romans 8, 28. Okay, listen to this. Hold your finger on Romans 8.28 for the rest of your life. Because you'll need it. Now look at, Roman, and look at Job chapter 1. In Job chapter 1 verse 6, it said, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth, going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Now everybody look this way. God is picking a fight with the devil. Okay? Men, you know what I'm talking about. You ever picked a fight with your wife? Ladies, you know you've done it too. You ever just think this relationship is kind of boring today? I think I'll start a little something. Now, God is picking a fight with the devil. He says in verse 8, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now look at this. In verse 9, Satan attacks the character and the integrity of God. He says, Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything that he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. But, look at verse 11, But stretch out your hand and strike everything that he has. 
and he will surely curse you to your face. You know what Satan said to God? He said, God, he ought to worship you. You pay him to worship you. You pay him. You bribe him. You give him all the good things. You take care of him. You put a hedge around him. You won't let me get to him. You've made his life so easy. No wonder he worships you. It's easy for him to come into the church and lift his hands and raise you. But you begin to take those blessings away. You strike his life. You bring suffering into his life. And watch what happens to him. I'll tell you what he'll do, God. He'll lift his fist up toward the heavens and he'll curse you with everything in him. You know people like that? Fair weather worshipers. Oh, God is just so good. He's given me so many beautiful blessings. My kids are healthy. Praise God. Got a good job. Good neighbors. Everything's going well in my life. And all of a sudden, and those people don't, you know, a lot of those people don't come to church much or they don't pray, they don't read their Bible. And all of a sudden, something goes wrong in their life. And, oh, God, what have you done? They've been living their life as if He didn't hardly exist. Now, all of a sudden, they need Him. You see, what did we say a moment ago? There's a tendency in our life to drift away from God. God brings a measure of suffering and affliction, and it pulls us back. But there's a spiritual backdrop here. Because Satan's objective in the life of you and I as believers... Listen, if you're lost today, the devil's going to do everything he can to keep you lost. But if you're a Christian today, the enemy can't touch your salvation. He can't take... Jesus said it. I hold you in the palm of my hand. No man, nothing can take you out. Not even you. That's why we believe in eternal security. So what the enemy says is this. He says, I can't take their salvation from them, but I can undermine their relationship between themselves and God. And that's what he sets out to do. He sets out to undermine the relationship between Job and God. He's trying to get Job to turn against God. And I'm going to tell you, folks, that's a lot of times what happens in our lives when things start going wrong. We get angry at who? We get mad at God. We say, God, I've been trying to live right, do right. I've always, I've raised my kids right. God, I've given my tithe. God, I've done this. It's not fair, God. This is not right. And we get angry. We become embittered. Sometimes we'll leave you clam out. You ever pout with God? I do. There's been times that I wasn't on speaking terms with God. I, God had very much upset me. God, I'm very upset with you right now. That's when the enemy has us in suffering exactly where he wants us. You see, suffering is a divine appointment. Suffering is God's way of drawing us close. But suffering has a spiritual backdrop. I had a college roommate. That college roommate, I'll just go by, his name was Mike. This is how he came into that dorm. He was paralyzed on one side and he kind of drug his foot and his his speech was distorted. And, And he was my college roommate, my freshman year, my first semester. 
And, and, and I, I don't know, it's not long before I try to get to people's story. So one night I'm laying over there in my bunk, he's laying over there in his bunk, freshman year, freshman year of uh, college. And, and so I said, Mike, it was dark. I said, Mike, could I ask you something? I said, how did you get where you are today? Listen to what he said. He said, well, he said, I was an athlete, football player. Good looking guy. He said, I had everything. He said, I, I, I went to, on a date with my girlfriend. My girlfriend broke up with me. He said, man, I was upset. He said, I called a friend of mine. He said, we drank a little bit. He said, afterwards, we were on our way down a highway, long, deserted stretch of highway, unfamiliar highway. He said, all of a sudden, we were making our way along. We began to realize that we were coming to a T-junction. In other words, that road was dead-ending. He said, we were flying. He said, we were probably doing 100 miles an hour. He said, my roommate who was driving the car said, man, uh, he said, I don't know what to do. I mean, he was screaming. He, he, He literally was trying to do everything he could, but I mean, it was just a matter of second. Mike said he bailed over in the back seat, got down in the floorboard, put his head down like this and covered his head and just got down in this little tight position. And all of a sudden, that guy, when he turned the car, it just started flipping over and over and over again. His drive, the driver was thrown out. He was busted up. Mike had one cut three inches on the top of his head where something had come through the roof when the car flipped and it just sliced his head open, put him in a coma for nine, months, for nine weeks. Nine weeks he was in a coma. He said, when I came out of that coma, he said, my life was over. He said, one night, he said, after he finally, going through therapy, he got where he could walk. He said, I was on one night, he said, I was walking and I was just like this. And he said, I looked up toward the heavens and he said, I raised my fist and he said, I curse God with everything that was in me. Because I had been talking to Mike about his salvation. And Mike said, it's too late for me. Years later, I was in, I was in, I was in uh, the church in Natchez. Had all four of my kids been married for years. Hadn't seen, heard from Mike in years. A man called me one night and he was about half drunk. And he started talking to me. He said, do you remember me, Jeff? He said, I, I said, yes, I do. I said, Mike, how are you? He said, my life is a wreck. Suffering is a backdrop, is a spiritual backdrop. And sometimes Satan's objective is in your life and in my life, and we'll close with this, is to get us where we are angry and frustrated and upset with God so that we cut off communication. We just say, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to read the Bible. God, I don't want to hear from you right now. I'm upset with you. And Satan goes, mission accomplished. That's what I wanted. Have you ever noticed that coaches, this is a coach. Have you ever noticed this? What are they doing? What's this? Play plays, right? It's got everything. Every play, personnel, everything about it. It's plays. Cheat sheet. But he's always talking. 
talking about this. Have you ever wondered who he's talking to? <laughs> Who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? Handy, who's he talking to? He's talking to probably the offensive coordinator or somebody up where? They're up in the booth. Why? Because they can see from their vantage point, they have a perspective of the game that the coach doesn't have. They are in the process of reading the weakness, of looking at the enemy, of trying to calculate how the, how the opposing team's going to attack, and they are simply giving him the proper counsel, hopefully. My friend, that's you and I. That's us. We, we, are, we are, listen, we are, in essence, when, we're on a, when, when we feel like we're losing the game of life, when things are going wrong in our life, we have a tendency to just take the headphones and throw them off and just say, I'll do it myself. Tragic, tragic mistake. Because the moment you and I do that, listen, everyone stay with me. We will always lose. We'll lose. Oh, you may win for a while. But ultimately, you'll lose. Because Jesus said in John 10.10, the enemy comes, listen to this, to kill, to steal, and to destroy, and he's very good at it. But Jesus said, but I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you and we thank you, dear Lord, for, for your word. And Lord, even right now, dear Lord, I, I know that, dear Lord, there can be people in this room that are suffering, that they look at their life and it's just not making sense. And Lord, they're hurting but God, may they understand that sometimes the suffering that comes in our life is that divine appointment. It is because you are making us aware of a need or a hurt that, Lord, I don't know. I did not know about parenting children until I became a parent. And I didn't really understand what it meant to parent a rebellious child until I had a rebellious child. God, I, don't, I didn't understand what it is to live with chronic illness until I came down with chronic illness. And God, I'm a lot more sensitive to those people who are battling with health. God, sometimes you bring suffering because you're trying to wake us up to the needs of those people that are around us. For some of us who have been fired from a job when a man comes and says, I, I just got fired today and I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. And we look at him and say, you know, I've been there. Let me tell you how God provided. And God, sometimes suffering comes because we drift away from you and we pull away and things are going well in our lives and we feel like, God, we don't mean to, God, but we, we don't pray like we used to. We don't read your word like we used to. We don't even listen to the music like we used to, but Lord, when we're suffering and we're hurting, even a song on K-Love or 
92.5 or whatever station we listen to, when a Christian song comes on, all of a sudden we start listening and hearing the words and, and they remind us that we're loved. God, we don't know what it is to, to sit at the bedside of a sick child who may be dying unless we've been there. God, I watched Bob Smith this week as I fellowship with him. And I listened to Bob talk about the loss of his own two children. And dear Lord, the incredible ability to minister to people who have lost a child because of it. God, sometimes there's a spiritual backdrop. The enemy is wanting us to turn off to God, is wanting to turn away from the Word and prayer. But God, you have something deeper and purer that you're doing. So, Father, for those that are suffering today, may you encourage them. May they feel your loving arms around them, filling them with your Holy Spirit. May they be reminded that a sovereign God is never out of control. You're always in control. And God, we can trust you. And we can can put our finger there on that verse and we can claim it for the rest of our lives. For in everything, we know that in all things, God, You're going to work for our good. So we need to keep loving you. So Lord, I pray. And I pray, dear Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, today that they may give their heart and give their life to you. May you do what only you can do. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Ask our counselors to come.